0: Hey Muses, welcome to the Melanated Muse Podcast. Join me, your host, Leah Marie, every other Sunday for new conversations and new insights where we keep it 100% real and 100% melanated. Hey, 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 welcome to episode 16 of the Melanated Muse Podcast. In this episode, we will be discussing why black history is important it's prevalent influence on mainstream American so well, we're at the tail end of Black History Month and this year it's been kind of different you know since we had like the protests last summer and these killings of these unarmed black men and women. Black History Month has definitely taken a different tone this year. Um, I know, and many of you who may have been part of the public school system, probably, you know, have been in classes where they merely discuss only a select group of African Americans and they present watered down narratives of their achievements or of their lives and not tell the entire story about said person. Or they'll leave certain other African-Americans out of school curriculum because they were probably too radical to be taught in you know, mainstream public schools. And what's even more sadder is that black, Tra- black History Month is literally reduced to 28 days, four short weeks. When in reality, black history has been made every year in every century in every decade since 1619, since we were brought here forcibly by colonizers and those African slave traders from West Africa. Um, so, my pitch here is that we have to recognize black history every single year. And in this episode, we're going to get more into why black history should be recognized every year and why it should be brought more to mainstream and why it should not be merely used as some type of marketing ploy or gimmick. It needs to be presented accurately and correctly in every way. So, Let's get right into our first segment, Have You Heard? So, we're at the tail end of Black History Month. And this year it's been kind of different. So, in today's segment of Have You Heard, where I basically present certain new stories that you may have not heard about or you may have. Um, We're going to talk about Black History Month for this year. So to get right into it, we're going to go down a list of notable achievements that blacks have made in certain industries. And we're going to start right now with the film and TV industry. So. Over this past year and into this new year, I've noticed and I'm pretty sure some of you may have noticed a revival or or a resurgence of black sitcoms from like maybe the 90s and even early 2000s. They're making their little resurgence on like certain streaming services such as Hulu and most notably Netflix. I guess, you know, they're bringing back that nostalgia because those shows that were on air at the time were pivotal in TV history because, you know, they showcased people that looked like me and brought certain everyday black stories to life on screen. One of the most recent sitcoms that I had binge watch, Successfully, um, over the course of maybe two or three months with Girlfriends, I from season one to about season eight, I saw mostly every episode. There were some episodes I may have, you know, skipped or missed, but I saw particular every season of Girlfriends, and with that show in particular, it gave me a glimpse of like what life was like for, you know, the working upper-class African-American woman and Girlfriends in particular was way ahead of its time. Um, In terms of certain topics like, you know, sex and dating and the natural hair movement and I guess like LGBTQ and uh, spirituality, religion, colorism, dating preferences, mental health and therapy, like, they really revolutionized that. And even yoga, um, like I said, spiritual wellness, things like that. And that show kind of like foreshadowed these same concepts that are incorporated in these other, these contemporary modern shows like Insecure, um, which is on HBO Max. I'm trying to think of another show that's out right now. Atlanta, High Fidelity. Those shows like that, those current, you know, black TV shows that are on TV, um, and there are so many other shows that paved the way for shows like *Girlfriends*. Even then, like, for instance, *Living Single*. Um, I haven't been seen that show in a while. I started watching it some time back, but I kind of have to catch up on it. Still in the first season. Um, shows like *Living Single*, they kind of showcased up-and-coming women black women in their respective fields trying to navigate adult life and their love lives and things like that so and there are other so many other classic black sitcoms like Family Matters, obviously The Cosby Show, even though it's not on Netflix um, A Different World, those shows like that they really gave us a big representation of what black life was like and the fact that, you know, they showcased it, it, they were kind of the epitome of why representation matters. And I'm just glad that they're bring these shows back because, you know, these shows were way ahead of our time and they they weren't afraid to go outside the box, obviously with certain episodes and like I said, certain topics so i'm just glad they're bringing these black tv shows back because with all due honesty and respect the the the, there's nothing i haven't seen a really good like black tv show to like sit and watch and really soak in and you know those shows they they came out during a time you know where it was unorthodox to have a show like that to discuss certain things that seem taboo and it just opened the door and the space for more black creatives within TV and film to you know, showcase more meaningful content with their shows. And so I'm forever grateful that we have these iconic shows on our streaming services. And like I said in my monologue, given the events that happened um, regarding racial injustice that happened last summer and that has happened over the years, it's it's very, important and it's essential that we have shows that represent us, that represent our lives, and that show us in a positive light, because prior to these black sitcoms that we see on these streaming services, black people in film and TV and even in life were not portrayed in an accurate manner. They were portrayed in a racist manner through caricatures and through stereotypes. And unfortunately, some of those stereotypes we're kind of incorporating some of these black shows, but we're also trying to redefine, and that's kind of what those black shows did to, to represent us in a more better light and to sh- prove or to make a point to the mainstream, I guess, entertainment, white industry that, you know, we are more than just jiving, buck dancing, you know. Negroes, if you will, like, we're not that, we're more than that, we're we're magic, we're creative, so I don't want to be too long with this point, but I'm glad they brought back the black TV shows, and there's a lot more that I definitely have to catch up on, because there's a lot of them on Netflix, it's like a huge resurgence, and I think Netflix has their own little Black Lives Matter collection, um, which I find commendable, I, I just hope and I pray that they don't use it as a marketing trend. I hope they really mean what they say. Like if you're gonna showcase more black creatives and more black shows, you have to mean what you say. You have to really stand by it. Don't, don't use us as a marketing gimmick because that's what they've been doing to us ever since we landed, ever since we were brought here to the States. So enough said on the black TV shows, we're gonna go right into the black movies. So I was looking online, browsing the internets before I started recording this episode, and I came across this article from Marie Claire about, um, it it showcased a list of some of the best black movies that have ever graced our screens. And I've seen a couple of them, by the way. Um, In the article, um, it showcased, saw certain films like Waiting to Exhale, What's Love Got to Do With It, Love and Basketball, I remember seeing Love and Basketball. Um, the Whiz," The Color Purple, Coming to America, School Days, Malcolm X, and there's many more, but some of those movies that I listed, I, I've seen on television and they were good. Believe it or not, they were good. And like I said about the black TV shows, they brought certain historical figures and certain concepts to life on screen. And it really propelled some of these notable actors that I may mention, um, like Denzel Washington, Angela Bassett, Whoopi Goldberg, Michael Jackson, obviously Diana Ross, Um. Lawrence Fishburne, Whitney Houston, Queen Latifah, Vivica Fox, Jada, Pinkett Smith, Kimberly Lee—they, they, some of these films propelled their careers. Um, and you know, these movies—they really gave a good, accurate representation of everyday Black life. The cinematography was on point with these films you know they have so many classic lines and certain quotes that people probably could quote all day. And it's just it's just amazing. And then there's another movie I forgot to mention for Color Girls. I remember watching that on Hulu one day and wow that movie was deep. It it basically followed the lives of I don't know how many women, several African American women and they each represented a certain color, I guess, in the rainbow spectrum. Um, And that movie was deep. And they really, For Color Girls was actually a film, not a film, but it was a play um, that, you know, was premiered sometime in the mid 70s. I think it was on Broadway. I could be wrong. But they brought that, the play to life through these characters and Basically, the lines that each woman was saying were basically like a monologue, basically like poetry that kind of, you know, explained or conveyed whatever situation they were going through, whether it be the relationships, um, self-discovery, mental health, spirituality. Um, Just like I mentioned in Girlfriends, that movie was pretty powerful and deep. Another film that, black film that I've seen that really brought, that really made a huge, major impact on me, a couple films, um, was Detroit. It um, chronicled the events that happened in Detroit, the riots. Um, It also showcased the lives of several black men that, you know, were falsely accused of being involved in some type of criminal activity. And they spent hours being interrogated by police until one of them may have confessed and the others kind of met a gruesome fate. Um, And also one of the singers from this R&B group, I think was in that interrogation group, those men. Um, I think they're part of Dramatics or something. But that move was pretty good. And then there was another film called Fences I don't think I finished it completely, but it followed the story. Um, it was, I think it was produced by Denzel Washington. And, and it also starred him and Viola Davis as this couple. And, you know, they've been married for some time. And he had, um, the husband had cheated on his wife, had committed, you know, fidelity for, I guess, most of their marriage. And I guess he had confessed it. And it kind of caused a rift in their marriage. I haven't seen the rest of it, but that was some good stellar acting. And the chemistry between Davis and Denzel was spot on. Um, and then all the information about the movies, I'll put in a link in the show notes below. But if you haven't seen those Black Iconic films um, that I mentioned and or listed, please go see them. You'll be amazed, you'll be inspired, and it really will help you think about life. <laughs> In the way life is being presented at you, it will change outlook on life too, and hopefully, it can inspire you to be better than you were before. So now we're gonna go into black music, and so black music has been a part of us, like I said, since forever, since since we've been here, and it played a pivotal role in how we express our attitudes and feelings about life as African-Americans. It's it's been a part of us, it's innate in us. And most of the forms of music that we've created in this country originated from the motherland. The rhythms, the cadence, you know, the timing, the pacing, uh, the vocal expression, all originated from the motherland. Um, you know, we've created blues, jazz, rock, hip hop, um, maybe even EDM for all that for all that I know. Um, R&B, gospel, spirituals—we created that, and it's been incorporated into mainstream American music. And it's been popularized. It's been marketed um, towards a larger audience, and it, it's been stolen. <laughs> um, the white majority has taken, notice of, to, has taken notice of this and has kind of popularized it and kind of appropriated it. Just like they appropriated our clothing and our culture and our style. And we have to give credit where credit is due to black musicians because without black music, mainstream rock and roll wouldn't have been possible mainstream pop music wouldn't have been possible. We have to get our credit because we basically created American music. And the fact that whites have taken it and tried to claim it as their own is unacceptable. When in reality, we created these forms of music. And these forms of music are not merely for entertainment. These forms of music were literally expression uh, they expressed our grievances about what we're going through. They told stories about our lives, you know, about the challenges we were facing. They, they, they served as a type of balm to ease us from our troubles, you know. And in the industry, many, you know, mainstream white record companies have profited off of black people's pay the travel through music. I, I can't tell you how many musical biopics or documentaries I've seen where black artists have been ripped off, you know, for their talent, have not seen checks, have not received royalties for their talent who slaved away, who worked their butts off to make their names in the industry, not receive a dime for the albums they make, for the work they created, just for some producer to capitalize off of it after they're long gone. Like, we have to really honor those black musicians who came before us, who paved the way to make mainstream American music popular. Like You know, there's so many unsung black artists that I, I've seen on TV that have not gotten their just due, that have not gotten credit, and even if we're going to scale up into the social media side, you know, a lot of TikTok, for instance, it's it's mainly used, you know, for music and dancing. It's kind of like a musical platform. A lot of dance challenges are on there, you know, and a lot of Black content creators on TikTok are having their dance dances stolen, um, you know, social media challenges stolen, and they, white TikTokers or TikTok creators, have profited off of Black you know, creators on TikTok and that happens in music too. Like, they just take it and run with it and that's not acceptable. You have to give credit where credit is due. You know, we work too hard to have our work being stolen from us, you know. So, when you get the chance, please take a moment to appreciate a black music artist today, you know, support the upcoming black music artists who are fighting, you know, to have their content shared and to have their content controlled by them. And there are several links that chronicle the history of black music in America. I know, I'll be quick about it, but, you know, in the early 20th century, you had the Ragtime, um, that kind of was the precursor to the jazz age, which started in the 20s and 30s and kind of took off. And then fast forward, 30s, 40s, you got bebop, 50s, you got doo-wop, 60s, you got the Motown sound, um, psychedelic rock, 70s, you got disco, funk, heavy metal, um, 80s, you got quiet storm, got new wave, um, you got the hip hop era that was taken off, then 90s, you got New Jack Swing, you got you know the contemporary R&B, and I think you got gangster Rap, and then fast forward, 2000s, 2010s, you got Teen Pop, you got Urban Pop, and 2020, right now you have Trap Music. And so that's kind of like a synopsis of the history of black music in America, and there are other links that will go more in depth that I will put in the show notes that showcased the history of black music. But please, give black artists our credit because we worked a lot in this country. We, we you've profited off of our pain. Um, music has been a life force for us. It helped us survive some of the most gruesome moments that we faced, whether it was Jim Crow, um, Black Codes, you know, Grandfather Clause for all that we know, all those unjust, you know, laws that have been put into place to keep us down. Black music needs to be cherished and respected and recognized. So that's my little tangent on black music. I, I love music. Um, it serves an escape for me, so I hope you can appreciate black artists and their contributions to the music industry. So now we're gonna go into literature. And one book I want to highlight, and maybe I'll do this more often, um, is this book I read last month called So You Want to be Race by E.G.M.O. Oluw. And based on the title, the author E.G.M.O. basically discusses ways that we can initiate you know, the conversation on race without having it be too awkward. And, basically, to give you guys a quick synopsis, the book basically highlights several different ways and guidelines for readers of all races, according to the back cover, to discuss subjects, um, whether it be intersectionality, which is, you know, the intersection of different identities that a person has, and affirmative action. Um, model minorities and many other concepts that seem taboo or people are afraid to discuss but she gives a very straightforward approach on how race should be discussed and clearly you're going to make mistakes it's it's not going to be easy but it reading this book forced me to really confront the reality that race is still a prevalent issue, race has not gone away and that we have to have more conversations about it in order for people to understand why people of color have faced injustices, why they fa- why they face injustices that they have to experience. I'm sorry, I kind of mixed up my words there. But this book is a really good read. Um, I was able to read it within a month. I might have to read it again. There are some parts of the book that, you know, that resonated with me. Um, and the author, Ejima Alou, she also chronicles some of her life and how she has experienced, you know, racial prejudice and the experience she has dealing with the race in the country. So I would highly recommend the book So You Want to Talk About Race. I know the school that I go to, um, they have a community read program where we have... We'll have weekly discussions about certain parts of the book and how we can apply some of those concepts discussed in the book into everyday life. So read this book, it will change your mind completely on how you view race and discuss race. We have to discuss race more often in this country because it is still a problem. Um, I'll also link the information for the book in the show notes. So, yeah, check out So You Want to Talk About Race. It's good. I I think it's available at Barnes and Noble and other bookstores elsewhere. So now we're going to go into the social justice organizations. And the first one I want to talk about is the Black Panther Party. And so the Black Panthers were founded in October of 1966, which was shortly after the assassination of Malcolm X and the armed killing of a local black teen. And the original name initially was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. And the Panther's initial mission, you know, was to, from what I know, was to enhance, you know, the black community to do more outreach work in the black community. And not just to combat police brutality, but also to instill pride in blacks, that black is beautiful. Um, And initially they wanted us to have, you know, self-defense, they wanted us to know how to defend ourselves, you know, in case, you know, a white man or police tried to come at, at them. And the Panthers really played a role, I guess, like I said in the black pride movement because, you know, short before, you know, they came to existence, you know, most civil rights organizations were literally kind of, I guess you would say a bit passive when it came to achieving equality for blacks and civil rights for blacks. And the Panthers came on the scene. They, they, they were adamant. They, they they didn't beg for seat at the table. They, they demanded. They were like, hey, look like we're we're tired of be treating us this way we need to be respected black is beautiful if you try to come at us we we will we will we will we'll have to try to defend ourselves if you come at us the wrong way that's kind of what the panthers were like and to give a little bit more background on the panthers they were founded by uh hugh p newton and bobby seal they were the founding members of the black panther party they were founded somewhere in oakland california And I know other outreach initiatives that the Panthers um, did was um, the Free Breakfast Program. They were involved in establishing clinics for women. You know, outreach like that. Um, You know, they were kind of like a militant force, you know, like an army. Um, And I remember reading about them. I I didn't really think much whenever to read, like, about them. But when I look back now, in hindsight, the Panthers, they were really trying their best to instill pride in our people. Um, they were really trying to let us know that, hey, there's nothing wrong with being black. Black is beautiful. Black, 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 black is you. And they had the afros and the all-black leather But it was much more than that. They 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 were they were trying to bring the black community together. They were trying to unite the black community together, because we had been so conditioned to sensitize for so long by mainstream culture. The black painters came in and you know taught us that you know blacks we have to come together, and that's literally what they're that was a mission to want to unite the black community together to fight against you know racial oppression and from white society. Um, there's one particular Black Panther leader, um, Fred Hampton. Um, there's a movie out on him recently called Judas and the Black Messiah. It's on HBO Max. I haven't seen it. I would recommend it that you see it. I, I, I've been looking at reviews now and interviews, and this movie is worth seeing. And it, it, it this movie highlights the story of Bill O'Neill, who was a. Uh, FBI informant who infiltrated the Black Panther Party and eventually betrayed Fred Hampton, who was a rising um, Black Panther leader and who was also elected the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party. And it was basically like the story of like it was basically like the Bible story of how Judas, who was a disciple of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, and how he betrayed Christ. And that's kind of what the movie's modeled after. And I remember re- my first discovery of Fred Hampton, I think it was in, maybe it was some type of civil rights book or maybe some article. And the only thing I knew about him was how he was unfortunately gunned down by the police in the early morning hours in his apartment in Chicago. And there's been so many stories, um, so many speculations surrounding his deaths and it was possibly about the government may have been involved, and you know, Bill Neal was possibly involved in this killing. And the reason why is simply because the FBI, the government, was afraid of the ascending of a black messiah. Because if there's a black messiah, then that was involved. The, the black messiah would try to reunite the black community together against you know, the government against, um, you know, the right man. And the FBI didn't want that, so they took Fred Hampton out. They took him out, unfortunately. But the silver lining is that this movie is reintroducing the public to Fred Hampton and what he stood for and how he basically gave his life for his people. Because I saw this clip where, you know, Daniel Kaluuya who portrays Fred Hampton, chairman I should say, Chairman Fred Hampton, Um, and you know in the speech where he you know echoes um, this rhetoric that he is a revolutionary and the crowd responds back to him that they're revolutionaries too and that was pretty powerful. What i admire about Chairman Fred is that he was not afraid to speak out he was not afraid to risk his life for the people because he truly cared about the people, and then another reason why he was probably taken out was, you know, he was planning on uh, having a rainbow coalition where, you know, Puerto Ricans from the Latinx community, liberal whites, and you know the Black Panthers would come together and unify together um, to bring about change in America to to. to foster more unity and eventually maybe gain civil rights (laughs) for the people but the government didn't like that they said nope I'm going to take you out we're going to use O'Neill so that's basically what happened Um, and that's kind of what the movie and that movie basically chronicles Fred Handum's life in parallel with Bill O'Neill's life and with Bill O'Neill it's like Judas he may have regretted that and unfortunately Bill O'Neill took his life Some years later, after that incident, so I would recommend reading more about the Black Panthers and what they stood for, um, and watching Judas the Black Messiah whenever you get the chance. It's a, I haven't seen it, I'm gonna see it, and I hope you see it too. It's very good, it will open your eyes and it will make you enlightened and inspired. The next organization I want to highlight is the NAACP, the National. Association for Advancement of Colored People, which was founded in 1909. And I read about them somewhere in some book about civil rights. I know s- some notable members that were part of it was um, W.E.B. Bois. Um, I know it was actually kind of an interracial type of organization because there are some, you know, white leaders of the NAACP. And the NAACP has been prominent in practically almost every civil rights you know, event and moment in history. They, they, they were instrumental in various events of civil rights. They're still instrumental today. Um, when it comes to social justice, and their mission really is to advance, you know, the black community And there's various chapters all across America. I think over in the DMV era, there's like a DC chapter. That's basically the main goal of the NAACP. The NAACP kind of serves as like a safe haven, you know? It's like one of the most largest civil rights groups in the world. There's like over 2 million activists. And they really want to foster and change and civil rights for blacks. And you know some of their main objectives, I'm looking at their website here is you know to ensure political, educational, social, economic equality. They want equality of rights. They want to get rid of racial ju- injustice period. And to kind of sum things up, they want to bring more public awareness about racial discrimination and to educate people about what constitutional rights that they have. You know, they serve as an advocate for achieving justice and change for African-Americans. And I will also link the NAACP website if you're interested in learning more about their organization, what they stand for, and ways they could probably get involved. Um, Because there's so many chapters, anybody's welcome to join. And then a couple other organizations that had a similar mission to the NAACP. First one was SNCC. SNCC stands for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And this, I'm looking at the website as well, this organization was, you know, founded you know by young activists at the height of the civil rights movement and basically their mission was you know to empower and bring about change they wanted to foster in a new era of you know civil rights leaders because you know for a good while it seems like the older The older um, African-Americans were kind of at the forefront of the civil rights movement and you know by I guess like the 60s that kind of turned around. Young people were starting to get more involved. Young people started volunteering more and you know raising their voices and it kind of inspired the current young activists that we have today in this current time period. And according to the website, according to the little mission statement, they, want, they have committed themselves to the full-time organization from the bottom up and with this approach empowered older efforts at change and facilitated the emergence of powerful new grassroots voices. So basically, they were kind of of grassroots movements that we have now. And they represented a certain type of radicalism within the civil rights movement, a young, youthful radicalism and I'm gonna link their website in the description box below. Another civil rights organization I wanna highlight is the S C L C and that one, similar to SNCC, they wanted to obviously help foster change and bring forth new efforts to gain most civil rights to African Americans. But it was more from like the the theological, the Christian perspective. And one of the notable leaders that, you know, initially was the president of, the first president of the organization was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He was the first president to oversee this SCLC. And according to their website, well, according to their mission statement on the website it says in the spirit of dr Lu- dr martin luther king jr the southern christian leadership conference is renewing its commitment to bring about the promise of one nation under god indivisible together with the commitment to activate the strengths of love within the community of, of humankind and the organization focus is to educate youth and adults in the areas of personal responsibility, leadership potential, and community service to ensure economic justice and civil rights and to eradicate racism wherever it exists. And so basically, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference is a interfaith, non-sectarian, non-profit organization that wants to achieve social, economic, and political justice in the name of the Christian faith. And they were also involved heavily in the civil rights movement. Like everywhere that there was a demonstration, more than likely SCLC was there, along with SNCC and the NAACP. And if you want more information on the SCLC, I will also link their website in the description box below. And I'm pretty sure there are other ways you can get involved as well. And the last point of our segment of "Have You Heard?" I want to address um, the education sector um, within Black history, and I kind of want to talk about HBCUs. Now I don't go to HBCU, I go to a PWI. I kind of, <laughs> I kind of wish I went to uh, HBCU, but HBCUs have, have, you know, been instrumental in my life. Um, I know my brother went to an HBCU. I know a couple uncles went to H- my to an HBCU. Um, yeah, they they, pay, they played a pivotal role especially within black history. because um, there was a time, the reason why they were created was because there was a time, you know, when African Americans, I think back in the 19th century, they were, and even earlier, maybe 18th century, they were denied access to mainstream colleges. And so, I guess some time after Reconstruction and the Civil War, these black colleges were founded to educate african americans and to enhance their way of life and i will say that hbcus are vital and important and they will enhance your black experience i know i was fortunate enough to go to a pre-college summer camp not summer camp but pre-college summer program um at hbcu new orleans it was called soar it it, it was like a month-long three-week pre-college summer program and that you know taught us certain courses that kind of got us acclimated into college life. And that was a really fun experience. I met so many awesome people and it, it kind of gave me a really good HBCU experience. And you know according to News 1 um, on their article about HBCUs, um, it says that HBCUs have always been the vehicles for liberty and equality in the journey toward black liberation within America. Um, black Americans have long understood the relationship between education and democracy following the Civil War. Learning the rules of the American and Southern political economy was necessary to take advantage of one's citizenship rights. So, black schools definitely have also played a role in black history um, the Divine Nine, the Greek organizations were founded on several black campuses um, HB's played a role in the propelling of certain you know, black leaders and certain icons in their respective industries like Donnie Hathaway Roberta Flack, Felicia Rashad Debbie Allen, Chadwick Boseman rest in peace um, you know folks like that and oh, Roberta Flack you know, um, so many others, um, they played a pivotal role in black lives, and it's important that they're cherished, because I think there was one point where HBCUs were kind of starting to die out, but I guess they're making their resurgence in the media, um, it's, it's important, if you go to an HBCU, um, shout out to you, you're awesome. Um, HBCUs are very vital. We need them because they serve as like a safe space for blacks in a world that doesn't really respect us or cares for us, even cherishes us. Um, And another point I want to make about HBCUs in this article is that HBCUs played a crucial role in transforming how America was to understand and envision what it meant to be black following this war. So... HBCUs basically gave American insight on how important black lives matter and how important black life is to the mainstream culture. So I pray and I hope that HBCUs, they continue to go strong, they continue to educate young black minds. I'm starting to think maybe about applying to an HBCU for graduate school. Who knows? Um, But we need to protect and cherish HBCUs. Um, They have so much rich history. We want to maintain their legacy for the future generation. Um, So let's keep, keep HBCUs at the forefront. We need them to thrive. We need them to foster more young black minds and to foster more black leaders, so shout out to the HBCUs. We love you from Howard to Hantem. <laughs> so now we're gonna take a break. I'm rambling on. This is this F-Y-I. is F Y I. Hey, y'all. Welcome back. I hope you guys enjoyed that quick little break. Now we're about to go into our next segment, FYI, for your information, where I inform you guys about certain topics that you may have not taken notice before. So in in today's segment of FYI, I want to highlight this recent campaign I started on on, um, IG on our podcast Instagram page called Hashtag Voices of Black History, which I started um, earlier this month. It was a month-long initiative where I highlighted certain achievements um, of well-known black female sheroes, as I call them, in their respective industries, from music to politics to literature to film. Um, And I did that over the course of approximately four weeks for this month of February, and I posted them almost every day on Instagram, and for each post, I provided a memorable quote from each black sh- hero to kind of impart some kind of wisdom and advice for the next generation of black leaders, whether they be male or female, and <clears throat> there were f- there are four black sh- heroes that I wanna highlight that I had initially had planned to showcase Um, for the Instagram initiative, but due to time constraints and scheduling conflicts, I decided to showcase them on the episode here. So the first black Shiro that I would like to highlight is Nikki Giovanni, who was a poet and an author. I read, I first discovered her work back in elementary school. I remember reading a biography about her. Um, She was born in Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, she was a very famous writer throughout, I guess, the 60s and the 70s. I know that one time, I think, I saw this video of her having a discussion with James Baldwin, I guess, about the state of black America. At the time, it was pretty eye-opening. But some of her, she's best work, I should say. Um, was her first self-published volume um, of poetry that she published in 1968 called Black Feeling, Black Talk. Um, She's also, um, she's also published several children's books. Um, She has various recordings, nonfiction um, as well, um, including one of her most her Emmy Award nominated the Nikki Giovanni Poetry Collection I was published in 2004 and she's had some recent publications as well called Make Me Rain Poems and Prose published in 2020 2020 last year and so many others and currently she works as a professor at Virginia Tech and she's taught at other schools um, such as Ohio State University and Rutgers um, and I guess, like, storytelling has been in her blood for a long time, according to her, web- according to the, um, the, her biography on the Poetry Foundation website. Um, she said, um, I come from a long line of storytellers, so writing has kinda of been innate in Nikki Giovanni, from what I know. And she also went to an HBCU, Fisk University, in Nashville, Tennessee, and at Fisk, she was um, She worked in their chapter of SNCC. Um, She graduated with the B.A. in history in 68. And went on to graduate school in Pennsylvania and Columbia University in New York. And basically over the course of, you know, career, she's written books pertaining to the civil rights movement and has gotten involved. So... Yeah, Nikki Giovanni, she's insane. I'm gonna link more of her her biography in the um in the show notes below. And one quote that I want to that I want to impart to you all um, that she's made, um, and I quote, "Deal with yourself as an individual worthy of respect, and make everyone else deal with you the same way." And I guess what I take from that quote by Nikki Giovanni is um. You have to do the inner work on yourself every day. You have to understand who you are as a person every day. Self-discovery is a lifelong process, and you shouldn't have to allow others to define you. And you have to make sure that you understand and love and respect yourself in order for someone else to love and respect you. Because if you treat yourself like crap, more than likely other people are going to treat you like crap. So make sure you know your worth make sure you know who you are as a person and other people will be able to respect that and see that so that's on that for Nikki Giovanni next we're gonna highlight another black shero Alice Walker um, and Alice Walker she's well known for her book The Color Purple which was adapted into um, a film in 1985 that starred with Goldberg and Alice Walker She's another author and poet who, what you may not know about her, most notably beautified another, you know, pioneering Shiro in author, Zora Neale Hurston's um, gravesite sometime in the early 70s and kind of revived, you know, or we introduced Zorin Hurston to the mainstream public with one of our publications in 1975 called uh, In Search of Zorin Hurston*. and with Alice Walker according to her biography on poetryfoundation.org she was born in 1944 in Eatonville Eaton, Georgia to sharecroppers. Um, she earned her BA at St. Lawrence College and some of the work that she has produced um, was the color purple in 1982 Um, She's also produced all kinds of poetry collections like uh, Hard Times for Choir, Furious Dancing, poems Um, a couple years back, Taking the Air Out of the Heart um, in 2018, Absolute Trust, The Goodness of the Earth in 2003, and so many more. Um, But she's most notably known for, you know, the color purple and, you know, they received, she received, you know, some feedback um, some on, you know, the release of her novel, and some of it, according to her autobiography, said, The Color Purple is an American novel. Permanent importance, that rare sort of book which in Norman Miller's felicitous phrase amounts to a diversion in the field of dread. That was from um, one writer from the music Review, Peter S. Prescott. So, basically, what I can take from that quote was that the color of purple was pre-revolution for its time and it sparked conversation um, i guess regarding black literature and black characters and black life so if you want more on alice walker i'm going to also put her biography in the show notes below because it's a lot of good content a lot of good information and one quote that from her that I would like to impart on you all today is that we are the ones we have been looking for, end quote, meaning that we shouldn't wait for others to make change. If, 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 if we want to make change, we have to be able to take that initiative, regardless of what we want to do. That's what I kind of gained from that quote. So we are the ones we have been waiting for. So whatever you want to do, just go out and do it. Don't wait for anybody to give you permission to do it. Don't don't look for approval to do it. Just take the initiative. Just go out there and do what you want to do. What do what you love. That's what I gained from that. And then the last shero, not the last shero, my bad. Um, another black shero I wanna highlight is Amanda Gorman, and I'm pretty sure all of y'all know. Um, she was the she was the poet that recited um, The Hill We Climb at President Biden's inauguration over a month ago. And she's an up-and-coming, you know, black host herself. Um, Amanda Gorman is a poet. She's also an activist. She also has her own website. And according to her website, it says here that Amanda Gorman is the youngest inaugural poet in US history, as well as an award-winning writer and a common law graduate of Harvard, where she studied sociology. She's written for the New York Times and has three books forthcoming with Penguin Random House. So basically her bio says she was born in Los Angeles. Um, she's, she began writing at a very young age, and her work has been recognized by many luminaries, such as Obama, manuel Miranda, Al Gore, Hillary Clinton, so many others. Um, she's performed for a CBS This Morning. Um, she's spoken at certain events, you know, at the Library of Congress and Lincoln Center. Um, most notably, she, um, received, she was appointed the National Youth Poet Laureate um, in 2017 by Urban Word, which supports you know young poets in over 60 cities, regions, and states. And she's also the recipient of the Poets and, Nation- and Writers, Barnes and Noble Writers for Writers Award. And she's one of the youngest board members um, of 826 National, which is a large youth writing notebook in the United States. Um, all of her achievements in her biography and her website will be linked below. So Amanda, she's um, represents the new generation of Black writers and young Black activists, and she makes me proud. When I when I saw her up there in her inauguration outfit, in the yellow and the red top that complimented her hair, that that inspired me. That that gave me hope that you know that there's a new generation of leaders that are rising up to the challenge that want to you know carry on the torch that our forefathers have held on to for so long. So I'm excited to see where she goes, how her career will take off. And I think she mentioned about becoming president in one interview. Hopefully she will be the next president in a good 10 years because we we need more leaders like her. And one quote from her that I want want you guys to remember is, um, quote, there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it, end quote. That's from her inauguration poem that she wrote and performed at the inauguration. And, you know, there's a light, there's a spark in every one of us. And if we're willing and able to activate that spark, then we can be the spark. We can, like I said, be the change we wish to see. So... We have to harness the light. We have to activate whatever light, whatever passion that's inside of us that we want to do it. And as I'm speaking to you, I'm speaking to myself as well. So be the light, be the change you wish to see. And now the last hero that I would like to highlight is Gwendolyn Brooks. I first came to contact with Gwendolyn's book work. Ah. I can't talk today. I first came into contact with Gwendolyn Brooks' biography sometime back in elementary school. There, I'll give you a little backstory. There was a time in elementary school where I was obsessed with reading black biographies You know, in my school's library because I just thought it was interesting to look at stories and to read history about how certain black icons came to be and what their achievements were. And I guess that kind of was my introduction to black history as a whole as a child, and then plus it was all around me. But to go back to the subject at hand, Gwendolyn Brooks, I recognized her in the biography about her. And from what I remember, she was a poet, mainly a poet, that where her work basically focused on, you know, everyday black life, you know, according to her autobiography um, she was a very widely read, very highly regarded you know, poet of the 20th century. Um, she was the first black author to win the Pulitzer Prize. I never knew that. That's a pretty big feat. And obviously she was involved in the Civil Rights Movement and reflected most of her work um, with the Civil Rights era. Um, her first I guess the poem that she published was um, in, at the age of 13, which is called Even Tide, and she frequently published poems in the Chicago Cobb Defender when she was, you know, in her later teens. And I guess throughout her career, she's written many works, such as A Street in Bronzeville, Annie Allen, which became Pulitzer Prize winner, and what else? Maud, Martha, and 53. Um, So she's written so many awesome things, and I am going to link her biography in the description below. Um, Miss Brooks, she was an extraordinaire in poetry, and I think I may have to look more into her work because I only know her biography. And one quote that i would like to from mr brooks that i would like to share with you um is quote live and go out define and medicate the whirlwind end quote and what i grasp from this quote um is that we have to go out we have to live our lives to the best of our ability we have to have a zest for life because life is short we have to make the most of life and you know make the most of our purpose here go out change the world go out and be the change just go out and live simply live don't merely exist live your life the way you want on your own terms in your own purpose So, that's the end of the segment of FYI. Um, I'm thinking about maybe continuing this hashtag Voice of Black History and maybe I'll do the same thing next month, but you know, showcase other black heroes um, that you may have not been familiar with before. But um, I hope you're inspired by this um, initiative Please share this initiative with your family and friends. If you have any suggestions about other black stories that you know you, you, you would want me to share, um, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, so that's the end of FYI. Um, we're gonna go into a quick break and then we're going to go into our final segment. Uh-huh. Epiphany. That's it. It's time for daily musings. Hey, everybody! I hope you guys enjoyed that break. We are now um, are entering to our final segment, Daily Musings, um, where I share my personal thoughts and opinions about certain topics. So basically I wanna sum up the entirety of this episode. And as I mentioned before, my opening monologue, black history is American history we built this country from the ground up with our unpaid labor i know there's many people talking about reparations and things of that sort and with all due honesty even if we had the reparations what exactly we would we do with the reparations you know think about that but i just hope that people start to recognize and really take into account about the significance of black history, because without us, America would really not come into existence. America would not be what it is today, not, you know, black achievement, but, you know, indigenous people's achievement, other peoples of color, other minorities' achievements as well. We literally built this country with our blood, sweat, and tears. We sacrificed a lot. We endured many terrors, many beatings, many lynchings, just to reach a certain pinnacle of success. We have to maintain black history, we have to preserve black history because there's so many mainstream institutions that are trying to whitewash black history, that are trying to water it down to appease their guilt and to, you know, make themselves comfortable with whatever narrative they have about us. And that can't be, if we're gonna share black history, it has to be accurate, it has to be real, it has to be truthful, it has to be honest. And another thing, black history should not just be minimized to one month. Because we create black history every single year, I'm pretty sure every single second, there's always a black voice a black life achieving something great and we have to bring it to light every single day black history is every day every day During 65 days a year 24 hours a day seven days a week 52 weeks <laughs> black history must be cherished black history must be preserved black history must be told because we have a new generation coming in getting a very inaccurate version about our people especially our young ones in the black community, they have to know. They have to know who, where they come from and where they're going. And I am really think for the Black Lives Matter movement and all these campaigns that they had recently, the social justice reform, we need those because we have to change the narrative about America. America has to deal with the, the sinful past of segregation and slavery and Jim Crow. We have, to, we have to bring it to the forefront. And I like those other projects like 1619. We have to keep those in school. I don't care what they say. We have to tell the story because we're more than just George Washington and Christopher Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. The black faces, black voices have been a part of American history for a long time. We we created it. Another example, the first African-American that, you know, died in the Revolutionary War, was Crispus Crispus Attucks, he died, he died, he was the first African American to die in the Revolutionary War, Um, you know, so we, we have to really sit and think and really reflect on the achievements and the sacrifices our people have made to make this country better, we have to do that, we seriously have to do that. And I, this Black History Month was very different and crucial. It, it made me realize that, you know, my blackness is important. It made me realize that my history, knowing my history, knowing who I am is important. It made me get more in touch with my history with my heritage and it inspires me to do more reading to do more research about my history and and, and like I said it's kind of reminiscent of the days when I was a child um, I would literally sit and pour myself into books about black life and even a little bit more recently a couple years back even I I'd taken this um, African-American literature class um, that chronicled certain authors and certain black literary works from I believe the 18th century to the early 20th century and basically that class was an African-American history class because our professor took it back to like you know the pre-colonial times and African culture up until this present day we talked about so many issues and the class although it was small there, there are so many different perspectives from students from different you know, backgrounds and different ways in life, and it really opened my eyes to the importance of telling black history and showcasing black history in an accurate light. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, <laughs> I'm joking here, but guys, it's important to preserve black history. We must showcase it every day. We must discuss it. We must have more conversations about it every day in our lives. We shouldn't, it's more than just like I said, a marketing ploy. It's life, it's everyday life that we're living. And for many years we've been demanding, we've been begging and pleading for black voices to be recognized in mainstream spaces. And I'm here to tell you today, my dear friends, that We have to come together. We have to unify ourselves as one unit. We have to, and I think I'm going off on a tangent here, but we really have to share our history. We have to know our history, know our history, know our, educate ourselves, do our research, do whatever we can to preserve this history right here. Because this history is all that we have. And we have to know that we are excellence and that there's a generation coming up behind us that needs to know where they came from, that needs to know the history, the struggles, the traumas that we've been through. That's the reason why I have this podcast. Um, you know, I'm gonna be able to showcase more black stories and more black conversations and more black life. And that's the reason why I have this platform. That's, why, that's the reason why there's other, leaders that have these platforms that are able to bring forth content for us and by us so that's all that's my two cents on that that's that's kind of, it, it was kind of a heavy topic but this black history month my eyes were opened and I hope that your eyes will be open too so with that being said Thanks for everyone for hanging out with us today. Please follow us on our podcast um, on Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Connect with us on social media um, at Melanated Muse Podcast on Instagram, at Muse Melanated on Twitter, and the Melanated Muse on Facebook for more updates every week. Follow me, the host, Leah Marie, at Back underscore and at Leah underscore Marie without the A on Twitter. And we're always trying to enhance our brand. We're still taking it day by day and learning as we go along. We want to hear from you so we can improve our content. So please send us a voice message on Anchor, DM us on our social media pages, whatever you know, whatever you want to do to reach us. Um, also, send us an email at our email address, meldittemose20 at gmail.com. Sending you love, peace, and light. Happy Black History Month, everyone! Happy Black History Year! Um, be beautiful, be excellent. Um, Yours truly, the Melanie News. Take care.